Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. You may be seated. Well, good morning, South Valley. How are you guys doing today? You guys sound excited today, and I love it. I love it. We had some baptisms. We got some more at the next service. So much to celebrate this morning. And you guys came to worship. I love, I just love hearing you guys worship. Thank you, John. Thank you, worship team. Can you guys help me thank them for leading us today? I always just love their, their time of leading us. Uh, my name is Ricky Hemi. Welcome to South Valley. We're so glad you're with us today. If you're new with us, we want to remind you that we're just grateful that you're here. And if you ever, if you have prayer requests, you could fill that out on our church center app. You could get a card. We want to pray for you, get to know you. We got a gift for you if you're new. We'd love to send you a, a Starbucks gift card just to say thanks for coming today. And, and today you're coming at an interesting time because we are at the tail end of a sermon series titled Theology 101: Understanding. The basics. And in this sermon series, we have actually gone pretty deep. I was talking to some, some students last Sunday, and they're like, I thought we were talking about the basics. And I'm like, yeah, we are, but I, I guess we're getting a little sidetracked. We're going pretty deep sometimes. But you know what I'm loving is every week you guys are going there with us. You are going deeper and deeper. You're asking questions. You're reading your Bibles. I'm hearing people buying theology books. I'm talking like fat theology books, all right? People are buying those things. It's, it's been awesome. And, and here's the thing. We are encouraging our church to be everyday theologians because we know that what we believe and how we think and how we see the world radically impacts how we live, radically impacts how we parent, radically impacts how we treat our neighbor. And so good theology leads to right living. And, and it also leads to, to freedom because we were reminded throughout this series that we worship a good God. A God who loves us, a God who's gracious and kind, and a God who provides a way for us as we talked about last week. So Theology 101, understanding the basics. So far we've talked about the bright side of theology, the fun stuff. We talked about the Bible we talked about the Trinity. We talked about the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about salvation, all beautiful topics. But today, we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk about the darker side of theology with a sermon on Satan and demons. Today's topic is about Satan and demons. Now, some of you might be wondering, why are we going to talk about Satan and demons? Well, one of the reasons I want to talk about Satan and demons is because when, when you read your, your Bible, did you know that no one in Scripture talked more about Satan and demons than Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ taught frequently about the spiritual realm, the angelic realm, the realm of darkness. He mentioned Satan and demons on numerous occasions. So if it's important to Jesus, it should be important to us. The second reason I wanted to talk on this is because uh, one thing I want you to see is that when the Bible talks about Satan and demons, it's, it's encouraging us time and time again to armor up. It's, it's reminding us time and time again that we are actually living in a, in a daily battle. Sometimes we feel the battle, sometimes we may not, but the battle is raging regardless 
Sometimes we see it. Other times we don't. Sometimes we've been rocked to sleep and we don't even see Satan working in our midst anymore. And so, so the Bible is, is warning us and encouraging us to armor up, to understand our opponent and to train ourselves for battle. Now, when I think about that, I actually think about an awesome family in our church. They always attend 9 o'clock service up there at the top, San Lucas family. They are a jiu-jitsu family in our church, all right? So the mother, the son. Oh, are you guys down here? Yeah, all right. You guys are down here today. Yes, okay. I, I can never see them because they're always at the top. I, I know there are people up there. I just don't know. I can't see any of your faces. But San Lucas family, okay. This family is awesome. You know why? Because on Saturdays, they're often doing these tournaments, jiu-jitsu tournaments, and, and they get gold medals at like every jiu-jitsu tournament, all right? They, they, they tear through people. They tear through people. And then after they're done like submitting you and, and almost breaking your arm and making you cry, they come here on Sundays and they raise their hands and worship. And it's like awesome. It's awesome. And, and I feel like what they do, it, it's, it's a really a picture of the Christian life. We are here to worship, to be filled, to be encouraged, to be strengthened. But the moment you leave here, you're engaging in a war. Did you know that? Do you know your opponent? Okay, if you've ever been in combat, you don't take somebody on unless you understand them. You try to understand your opponent, how to submit your opponent, how to defeat your opponent. That is why we need a theology of Satan and demons. We have an opponent. And here's the thing. Satan has been studying you your whole life. He's been studying your family. He's been studying the human race. He knows exactly what he needs to do to submit you. The good news, though, is Jesus has given you a way to fight back. Jesus has given you a way to fight back. But you need to armor up. Because here's what the Bible says. 1 Peter 5 says this, that the devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And he'll devour you if you're not ready for him. If you're vulnerable, he'll devour your faith. He'll devour your marriage. He'll devour your mental health. He'll devour your joy. He'll come after your children. He will come after your security in Christ. Okay, Satan is not just a bad guy. He is a monster that wants to turn you into a monster and wants to see you destroyed. So today we're going to talk about who is Satan and how do we fight back. I'm going to pray and we'll jump into the message. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for this morning and, and just for an amazing church. I, every time I'm here on Sundays, I am just so encouraged and so inspired. And this place has been a great place of strength for me and my family. And I just pray that we would continue to go from strength to strength. That we would continue to see you move in our midst. Baptism, salvations, new life, uh, just freedom and, and, and uh, just deliverance in your name. I, I just pray, God, that you would continue to move in our midst. And, and we just ask for wisdom right now. We ask for wisdom. We're not afraid of the evil one. We're not afraid of dark powers. But we want to understand and remember the fact that we are in a war. A war that you win, Jesus. A war that, that you have already you already put the nail in the coffin when you went to the cross and one day you will return and there will no, there will no longer be shedding of tears or, or anything anymore. But until that day, help us to fight on. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so Satan and demons. We've got to start with some basics. The first question is this, who is Satan? Satan is a spirit being who opposes God and seeks to frustrate his plans and lead his people into rebellion. Okay, so that's Satan. That's what we see about Satan in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And there are three things I want you to know about Satan this morning. Simple ways to remember what he's about and what he does. The first thing I want you to know is this. Satan is a created being, okay? So this, this is a reminder that Satan is not an equal and opposite force to God. I remember walking into a skate shop one day with my son, and up there on the wall there was a skateboard with, with Jesus and Satan arm wrestling as if there would be a competition. But here's the thing. God made Satan. God could take Satan out. Okay? If Jesus and Satan arm wrestled, there would actually be no competition. And, and, and what, one reason I want to bring that up is this. When we think of Jesus today, you know what we often think of? We think of a long-haired hippie in the sky drinking a latte. That's what we think of. But did you know that the lamb is now a lion? Did you know that Jesus is not a hippie drinking a latte? Jesus is a warrior king. Jesus came in his first coming to lay down his life. We think of a pacifist with Jesus. That's because that's what Jesus came to do. He didn't come in his first coming to bring a sword, but to bring peace. And he brought peace through the cross. But when he comes again, he is coming on a white horse, according to Revelation 19. And he has a sword in his hand. And he will wipe off darkness from the face of the earth. Okay? Jesus is a warrior king. Just like this, this family up here, this jiu-jitsu family. Warriors. It's, there's nothing wrong with having a warrior mindset. We live in a military town. You've been trained to protect our country. You've been trained to fight. Fighting is not always bad. Jesus encourages us to fight back against the evil one. But I want you to know, in your fight with the evil one, Satan is just a created being. And in Revelation 20, when, when, when Satan and his minions go against God and the saints, uh, everybody's gathered at this, this great Armageddon scene. And what I want you to know about that battle is that the battle is over in a moment. There's no fight. There's essentially no fight. And then Satan and his demons are cast into the eternal lake of fire. And, and, God is, and God reigns and rules forever. And there's no more darkness, no more sadness, no more crying or pain anymore. Satan may be a powerful opponent to us, but he's nothing to creator God. The second thing I want you to know about Satan is that Satan is a fallen angel. Okay, Satan is a fallen angel. Now, we aren't certain when the angelic realm was created, when angels were created. But it seems likely that they were created sometime before day four of creation. And that's because Job 38.7 says that the angels rejoiced over the creation of the stars. And the stars were created on day four. Well, angels according to scripture, are special spiritual beings created to serve in the presence of God and to minister on his behalf. And, and angels are our friends. Angels support, they're messengers, they're ministers of God. And although they were created to serve and worship God, what we read in scripture is that some angels turned from God 
rebelled against God, and were cast out of heaven. And the chief of these unfaithful angels is an angel by the name of Lucifer. And there are two passages that talk primarily about Lucifer's fall. I'm going to read to you one of them, Isaiah 14. This is what it says. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you've said in your heart, I'll ascend into heaven, and I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God. I'll also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I'll ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. That's what Satan wanted. He wanted God's throne. He wanted God's glory. He sought after God's position, and so he was cast down. So we read, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Now when when we just read this, what pronoun did, did you hear repeated over and over again out of Lucifer's mouth? What pronoun? I. I will, I will, I will, I will. At the center of our rebellion, at the center of the, the angelic being's rebellion is something called pride. Satan fell because of pride, a longing to be above God. And if you were to read to Genesis chapter 3 in the creation story, you would read that we fell as human beings because of pride, a longing to be above God, to make our own rules, to determine for ourselves what is true and what is false, what is right and what is wrong. And still to this day, there is a power struggle on the earth where human beings, they want to define good and bad, right and wrong, true and false. But God has already defined it. And so we have fallen just like Satan and demons. Now, contrary to popular belief, Satan is not a little red man with horns, a pointed tail, and a pitchfork. Okay? He's not. In fact, he's probably the most beautiful being in all of creation. Listen to this passage. You are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. This morning I went on a rabbit trail looking at Dante's Inferno. You guys remember Dante's Inferno and this spiraling down into these layers of hell and these creepy looking creatures and it's really scary and I mean that was actually where like we got all of our horror stories today. It's from books like that. But here's the thing. Satan doesn't look like a creepy looking demon. Satan looks like perfection. Listen to 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You see, one of Satan's greatest assets is his ability to appear good when in reality he is utter darkness. The third thing I want you to know about Satan is this. Satan is the ruler of this world. Now, when I say that, on the surface, that might sound like blasphemy. But when Jesus talked about Satan, twice Jesus referred to Satan as the ruler of this world. Similarly, the Apostle Paul said that the world lies in the power of the evil one. 
He says that Satan is the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air. This means that Satan's dominion is not some little furnace down at the core of earth. Okay, Hell is not some place where Satan is ruling and reigning with his minions, torturing people. Okay, Satan doesn't rule and reign over hell. Satan is ruling. His power and dominion and authority is actually right here on this planet. That's why we see so much confusion. That's why we see so much chaos. That's why we see so much pain. That's why we see so many lies. Because Satan is ruling and reigning and seeking to thwart the, God, the plans of God right here on this planet. Because here's the thing. Hell was not created as Satan's dominion, place of power. Hell was created as a place of torture and final judgment for Satan and demons. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 25. He says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's hell. The devil and his angels aren't there yet. They're here. That's why Jesus says that he's the God of this world. Now, if Satan is such a big deal, then why don't we talk about him very often? If Satan has truly led the world astray, then, then why don't we mention him very much in Christianity? We know, according to Scripture, that we all once followed the prince of the power of the air, that we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Acts 26, 18 says that when Jesus sent out Paul, he said, I'm sending you to, to open their eyes so that you may turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Okay, so, so Jesus sees that we have a very present danger and a very present enemy in, the, in Satan. But why then don't we talk about him very often? Why do we just act as if he doesn't actually exist? Well, I think that a little bit of church history will help us with this. So I decided to do a little survey of church history. I'm going to hit this quickly because I know that half of you love history. Half of you are like, okay, coffee break. All right, so we'll get this really quickly. So here's a little history of Satan and demons. What has the church believed throughout time when it comes to this topic? Well, church history is broken down into a few chunks. The first chunk of church history is called the patristic period. This is immediately following the disciples, the apostles, from year 100 to 450. And in this period, you had guys like Justin Martyr. You had guys like St. Augustine. The, most, uh, the, the seminal work of this period is St. Augustine's City of God, where he wrote about the, the origin and the nature of angels. And this is what he believed about angels according to scripture he said that the devil was the first angel to sin that he's the king of demons the prince of Babylon so the one who who fools the nations that he's the prince of this world the ruler of darkness and because of their sinful re rebellion eternal fire has been prepared for the devil and his angels so that's what was taught during the patristic period this is good theology. This is, this, is, this is right theology, except that some people during this time had too high of a view of angels and would actually revere them and sometimes even worship them. And so there was, there was a little bit of a battle right there of turning people not to, to angels but to God. The next phase, though, is where things get really funky, and that is the medieval period, the Middle Ages. Okay, the Middle Ages are some of the weirdest times in, in human history. This is where we get like every scary story in human history is from this time. Dark Ages, mid Middle Ages, Medieval Period. And the Medieval Period was a strange, strange time for Christian theology. 
Because in this time, what we saw happen was people turned from just finding their theology from the word of God to actually telling stories and speculating about things. So this means that instead of using the Bible to explain Satan and demons, people just told stories and wrote strange books, kind of like Dante's Inferno. And so guys like Thomas Aquinas, also known as the angelic doctor, would start with one verse from scripture and then they'd add all kinds of speculation on top of it to create elaborate doctrines of Satan and demons. And so Christians during this time, they believed that the devil threatened them at every turn. Okay, they believed that the devil was in everything. The devil is in their dog. The devil is in their neighbor that they don't like. Think of Bobby Boucher's mother, right? Foosball is the devil. School is the devil. They believed that the devil would, would come into mice, that the devil would come into rodents of all kinds, that the devil would sometimes, you know, everything, everywhere they looked, they, they would see the devil. This is where ideas about werewolves came from, vampires came from. This is where people riding on brooms came from, because Satan would ride people through the sky. This is where all kinds of crazy ideas, all the scary stories that we tell over and over again during the Halloween season came from this period of history where people would take one thing about demons and Satan and then they'd turn it into these elaborate, crazy stories. This is also where we get the popular image of Satan with the horns and the tail and the pitchfork. And so that period of history really swayed people to where they didn't even know what to believe about Satan and demons. And so another period of history came called the Reformation period. And we talked about the Reformation last week. That started in 1500, 1517 with a guy named Martin Luther. And these guys came, these guys, Martin Luther, John Calvin, uh, John, John Knox, all these other guys, they came and they're like, listen, we need to stop making up, people need to stop making up stories about Satan and demons and they need to get back to the word of God. And so they believed that the best way to understand God and the way to understand the spiritual realm is to speak where the Bible speaks and to be silent where the Bible is silent. They warned that speculation would cause people to wander away from the simplicity of the faith. And what they taught about Satan, what Martin Luther said about Satan, was that Satan was like a snake. It's always crooked. It's always tortuous. It's always curving. It's always squirming until it's dead. That's the only time that it's straight. And so he believed that angels were our best friends and that demons were our worst enemies. Finally, though, the fourth era of of history is the modern era. The modern era is from 1700 to present. This era is inspired by something called the Enlightenment. You guys heard about the Enlightenment before? The Enlightenment was a period that began in the 1700s and is often referred to as the Age of Reason. And it's during this time that science and philosophy became the great forces of the world. And and when the Enlightenment hit and everything had to be studied in a test tube, all of a sudden people began to wonder what does that mean for the spiritual realm because he can't necessarily fit the Holy Spirit into a test tube. He can't fit Satan and demons into a test tube. And so does that mean that there is no spiritual side to life, that all we know and can trust is physical matter? 
And so people began to reject the spiritual. Well, now we're coming out of this era, and atheism is actually starting to die again, and we're becoming very spiritual again. But the problem is, now that we're becoming spiritual again, we have a very strange spirituality. Because you know where people today are learning about Satan and demons? They're learning from movies. They're learning from books like Harry Potter. They're, they're learning from random stories. Okay, we're coming out of the, this era into an era that's more spiritual now today. But we are getting our... our cues we're learning about these things from what we see on on tv what we see in television shows like in in movies and 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 big franchises like paranormal activity and the conjuring which make billions of dollars each year and so atheism is dying but at the at the turn of this we're seeing people are getting very spiritual again and things like crystals are becoming popular now and there's oils for everything now and and we're getting very spiritual again but we're lost we're lost So that's why I wanted to bring us back to what does the Bible have to say about Satan? We know that he's a created being. We know that that God will one day defeat him. But the other thing I want you to know is this. What is Satan like? Well, Satan is a liar. He's a liar. The biggest takeaway I want you to have this morning is that Satan's a liar. Although there's been confusion over the years about who Satan is and what Satan does, that confusion is because of this. Satan doesn't care what you believe about him as long as it's not the truth. Satan doesn't believe, care about what you believe about the world as long as it's not the truth. Satan doesn't care what your kids believe as long as it's not the truth. Satan doesn't care what you believe about God or crystals or spiritual beings or aliens or whatever as long as it's not the truth. As as long as he can keep you distracted from the truth, then he is happy because Satan is a liar. Jesus says it this way. Satan was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and he is the father of lies. Every lie that you have seen throughout history was dreamt up by a person named Satan. And so with that in mind, I wanted to warn you of what Satan wants to do to you. You see, when, when the Apostle Paul talked about Satan, he often told people to beware, to be alert, to be watchful. He warned people about the snare of the devil. He, he called Satan a tempter. Peter called him a vicious lion. Revelation calls him a dragon, a predator, Because Satan is roaming around seeking someone to devour. He's looking to trap people in lies. He's looking to trap people in sin. He's looking to trap people into a season of darkness, into a season of being lost. And he does that by setting up snares, doing whatever he can to trap people. You guys know what a snare is? A snare is a hunting device. We have some hunters in here. A snare is a hunting device. And, and good hunters, you know what they do? They study their prey. They watch their prey. They understand their prey. They know the, 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 the paths that their prey frequently travel. 
They know the kind of food and the kind of smells that the prey frequently respond to. And so they watch their prey, they study their prey, and they try to figure out the best way to capture them. And so they go into their environment, and they sneak in, and they set up some kind of temptation, and they hang it in front of their eyes. And on the other side of that temptation is a noose. And the moment the prey grabs onto that temptation, the the trap is sprung the animal is caught, and they're, and they're gone. It's over. Well, the first snare that we read about in the Bible is some kind of fruit. Now, I don't think that, that, that an apple was actually the fruit that tempted them, because who's tempted by an apple, right? <laughs> but if you read in Genesis 3, there's this tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if, if you eat of the fruit in that day, you'll surely die. I don't don't necessarily think that that tree was magic. I think that tree was an opportunity for Adam and Eve to trust God or to not trust God. It was an opportunity for Adam and Eve to say, you know what, God, I believe that you will always do what's best for me. Or it was an opportunity for them to say, you know what, I'm going to choose what's best for me. Well, eventually a serpent made his way into the garden. And he went over to that tree, that one tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. And he began to speak lies into their ears, whispering to them. Did God really say you can't eat of this tree? Is God holding out on you? You see, I I think that God doesn't want you to eat this tree because because he doesn't want you to be like him. But, But if you go back two chapters, we read that we were created in the image of who? You're already like God. You are the pinnacle of God's creation. God has never once held out on his created order. He's never once held out on you. You are the crowning jewel, crowning achievement of creation. And Adam and Eve, they had everything. They had perfect relationship with God. They had perfect relationship with one another. They lived in a garden paradise. They had everything that they needed, everything that their family needed to thrive. If they would just trust God, God said, hey, you, you, I'm not going to force you to do this. You have an option. You could go your way. You could follow me, whatever you want to do. And eventually Satan made his way into the garden and he began to whisper lies into their ears because Satan is a liar. And the father of lies. And so he dangled this fruit in front of them. I like to think that it's not an apple because I I really just, I don't understand that. But some kind of fruit. He tempted the woman. Adam, who was supposed to lead and love his wife. Adam, who was supposed to protect his family. He sees the temptation Coming to his wife, and instead of fighting back, instead of speaking up, you know what he does? He steps back and shuts his mouth. And he watches as his wife is preyed upon. And his wife is tempted, and she's lied to, and her husband's not doing anything about it. No one's fighting back until finally she takes a bite. She hands the the fruit to her husband. He takes a bite, and in that moment... Creation began to spiral out of control because God said in that day, you'll surely die. You want to rebel against me? You want to do things your way? 
here are the consequences. You can define right and wrong for yourself, but now you, you don't know me. You're separated from me. They're first, they're, the next story we have in there is of two brothers, one getting in a fight and one kills the brother. That's how quickly creation spiraled out of control. And from that day forward, God is, he's, he's instituted a plan of sending his son and making a way back to God and getting rid of the, the, the prince of darkness, Satan. And he's got this elaborate plan, this glorious plan. But since that day forward, we have all been trapped by the devil. We have all been snared by the evil one. And, and he does it in a lot of different ways. And so back then, there was some kind of fruit choice to be like God. But my question for you, what is your apple today? What's your apple? What is Satan dangling in front of your eyes? It looks appealing. It looks shiny. It looks good. It looks like the easiest road to happiness. But you know what's on the other side? A noose. Satan wants to suck the life out of you. And he will do it by setting snare after snare after snare after snare. Anything he can to trap you, to, to, to turn your, your back from God, to, to distract you, whatever it is. What is your apple today? So I've talked to some people in our church. I've, I've learned that we all have quite a few apples around here. Maybe your apple this morning is something like lust. Maybe it's things that you see on your computer or on your phone. Secret relationship. And, and Satan, he, he dangled it in front of you because he, he made you think, like, you know what? Everybody does it. Do what makes you happy. You're not hurting anybody. But then you ate. And, and, and for some of you, you ate and you couldn't stop eating. You ate and you got stuck in the snare. And you've been in the snare for a really long time, but like we talked about last week, you haven't opened your mouth about it to say, I'm trapped, I'm stuck, I'm hurting, I'm lost, I'm being defeated. You haven't opened your mouth because you're afraid that the church is going to condemn you for it and be angry with you. When in reality, we know that Jesus actually came because he saw us in the snare, he saw us trapped, and he wants to cut off that rope from your neck. He wants to set you free and he wants to give you a new life. But sometimes you got to take your eyes off of this the shiny thing that you think is going to make you happy, and you need to put it on the author and perfecter of your faith. His name is Jesus Christ. Maybe your apple is some kind of substance. A substance that has been passed down from generation to generation in your family. And, and you think, just one more week of this. Just one more month. Next year I'll get clean. One more hit, one more drink, one more try. It's just because I'm stressed. It's just because I'm tired. And he dangles it in front of you, and he dangles it in front of you, and he makes you bite and eat. And, and, and then all of a sudden, you're realizing that it's costing you more than you ever wanted to pay. Because here's the thing with Satan. He will always overpromise, and he will always underdeliver every single time. He will make you think in that moment that this is the road to happiness. But as soon as you bite, you will have a sour taste in your mouth. But he'll force you to keep biting. Jesus sees 
your need. Jesus sees your longing. Jesus sees your fears. Jesus sees your pain and anxiety. And he, and he comes and he says, I have come to set you free from the lies of Satan, to, to give you a new life. And he comes to, to, to radically reshape you. Maybe your Apple is stuff, the next iPhone, a new toy, a new gadget. Or maybe the Apple is just some kind of idea, that, a new idea that Satan wants to throw out there for everyone to believe. You see, what's crazy about Satan is he doesn't just know how to trap individuals. He knows how to trap entire communities, entire churches. He knows how to trap entire nations. He does it through lying. He makes people believe lies. He confuses them. And if you, if you don't think that's true, just think right now about our culture, this time in human history. We don't even know the difference between right and left, up and down. We are debating things that are just, that are black and white, easy, a, a child understands and knows, but we can't even find the truth because Satan has captured so many people in false ideas. He's trapped them, and, he, and, and here's the thing. As soon as he traps you, he wants you to be miserable. He wants to keep you from Jesus. You are in this snare, and, and you might not think it's that bad because it's, you know, it's just one bite after another, just tiny little bites, but, but listen to what C.S. Lewis says about this. He says, indeed talking about Satan's traps and in, in the road away from God, says, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. That's what we see happening in our country, right? One lie after another after another until it compounds into this big crazy thing that no one saw coming, but Satan knew what he was doing all along terrible thing about Satan is this. After he's enticed you, he flips the script on you. Because the moment you take a bite, the word Satan actually means adversary. The word devil actually means slanderer or accuser. And so just so you know Satan really hates you, not only does he trap you, and tempt you, and pull you away from God, and pull you away from family, and try to ruin your life. But the moment he has you in his clutches, the moment he has you in his trap, he will speak to you like you're a piece of garbage. You're dirty. You're a screw-up. You never get it right. You'll never amount to anything. And he'll, he'll attack you and attack you and attack you and make you play these things over and over and over in your head so that you're fo fixated on your problems and he just makes you believe lies. And what I want you to know today as we, as we get into some application, and we're going to do communion after a song, but what I want you to know today is this. Jesus sees the ways that Satan has ravaged lives and it, it breaks his heart and he, he loves us so much. He sees us broken. He sees us lost. And he just says, hey, just look to me. Just look to me. He's a liar. You're not dirty. If you belong to me, you're clean. You're not lost. If, if, if you want, you could be found. You're not worthless. You know why you're not worthless? Because I made you. It doesn't matter how dark your life got. It doesn't matter how far down the road you got. 
fo- following after something that, that over-promised and under-delivered, I will always take you back. I will always embrace you. I will always forgive you. Take your eyes off of the darkness and look to me because there is freedom and there is life and there's forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Get out of the trap. It's time to get out of the trap. And it's time to fight back. It's time to fight back for your family. It's time to get your own life back. It's time to fight back for your kids. And and it's time to fight back for for what's right and for what's true and for what's good in, in, in our society. It's actually time in this season of life, it's time to fight back against the lies of Satan. We can't be silent anymore about his works and effects and his ability to trap. And so four applications for you really quick. The first, we're gonna sing a song in a moment and then we're gonna take communion after the song. And and what I want you to do during this song is I want you to come to the altar, whatever that looks like for you, whether that's you sitting in your seat, hands open and saying, God, I'm done being trapped by this. I'm done seeing my family trapped by this. I'm done believing these lies. I want the truth. I want you come to the altar. If that's raising your hands, standing in worship, whatever it means for you, come to the altar. The next thing is this. Number two, pray for your family. Satan wants to destroy your family. Pray for your mom and dad. Pray for your cousins. Pray for your kids. Pray that they would have the wisdom to see what is true and what is false, what is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong, that they would point their lives in the direction of Jesus. Pray for your family. Number three, pray for our country. Pray for our country, for truth, for healing, for hope, for life. Number four, just a quick application. Come this Good Friday and Easter, celebrate what Jesus has done to set us free from the realm of darkness, from powers that are too powerful for us, but Jesus has paid, he's, he's made a way. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, we read. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with you, we read. He's, he's disarmed the rulers and authorities. He's put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, and he did it through the cross and through his resurrection. That's how he did it. So we're going to sing a song right now. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you a chance to, in this song, talk to the Lord. Be real with the Lord. You could stand. You could sit. You could kneel. Whatever you feel like, whatever you need, you could take some time to to come to the altar, to pray for your family, pray for your country, reflect on God, and then I'm going to lead us in communion together. So let's pray, and we'll, we'll sing together. God, we don't need to be afraid of the realm of darkness. We don't need to be afraid of powers that, that want to deceive and destroy us. But we also need to be aware. I pray, God, that we would see through the lies of the evil one, that we would see through the lies that we've believed and embraced, that we would be reminded today that we are loved by you, that we'd be reminded that you made a way for us, that you declare us holy and righteous and good because of the work of your son. You see us, you love us, you care about us. And if anyone's trapped, set them free right now. If anyone's trapped, Help them to let go right now. Chop that snare off of their body, off of their life. Point their direction, their eyes to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.